this is the Ginyu World Order, episode 15, season 12. My name's Klaatu. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about listener feedback. Not talk about it, but review some listener feedback, because there's some interesting stuff out there that people have told me. So let's start uh, from the middle. So Josh from Web Hosting Co-op emailed me and said that the next logical step in your tutorial on tar and pipes would be SSH. Example, conundrum. You don't have enough space. Disk is full locally, but you've got a machine on the network that you can SSH to that has plenty of space. So at first I didn't really know what he was getting at, and then he luckily he sent me a command, a sample command, so I just I just tried the command. Blindly, with complete and utter faith. Um, no, actually, I mean, it's a pretty simple command, so it doesn't really take a whole lot to figure out, but, but I, I, I wanted to see what it looked like, so... What he does here is he does a tar space cf space dash. So that's going to write the results of the tar command to standard out. So we're creating a file, cf, create file, but the file that we are creating is just dash. So that sends everything to standard output. Okay, so then space, and then the name of the directory that you need to put somewhere else. So for instance, foo. And then we pipe that to ssh, and we lo we do ssh, and then, you know, whatever port, if there's a different port, probably not on your internal network, uh, clatu at example.com, single quote, and then cd, and then let's just do home slash home slash clatu. That's really all we need there. And then we'll do a semicolon tar xv f for extract verbosely the file dash single quote and that's what you do and then you type in your ssh key password if you have one and uh there it is so now it's it's off on your your remote server so now if we go to the remote server so I'll ssh to example.com and do an ls and there's the foo directory nice and tidy on the remote machine so in this particular example, and I'm not going to do the other examples that he sent, I'll, I'll kind of read them out really quickly though. Uh, SSHclatu at example.com, space, single quote, cd slash, you know, the path to wherever you want to dump this thing, semicolon, tar zcf, space, dash, close, single quote, and then pipe that to tar zxvf, space, uh, a dash. And, and if you do that from the server, for instance, uh, then you can yank a folder off of your full machine, the machine that's too full of data, and you can bring it over to your to your uh, to your server. But you can you can zip it along the way so that you're you're effect well you are not effectively not anything you are actually transferring less data than than the raw uncompressed data that you that you could that you would have otherwise had to send. Um, and you could do the same thing with bzip2 as well, but he says it takes a really long time, which, you know, really long time for bzip2 sometimes is funny to me because I've never really had that much of a problem, you know, speed difference. I mean, I, I, people talk about it all the time as if though, as if though we're all using, you know, Raspberry Pi version 1s or something. I mean, it's just bzip2, gzip, XZ, it's it's all the same to me, but anyway, um, I I know that that obviously affects 
people differently because um, their they, their bandwidth is different or the size of their data is different. So yeah. Um, point is that you can use tar as a I guess a poor man's SCP. I I don't know exactly why you would want to with just the tar command like I did it. Now the reason I'm not doing it with compression in my example is because um well because I'm lazy right now and my the pi, the the server that I am testing this on that I that I tried these commands on is in fact my version 1 pi that I spoke about last episode. So it's running that BSD which also means that it's running BSD tar, which means that the commands that I need it to process on both ends are different depending on which tar is being used. Now, the easy the, the easiest way to fix that would be to go into my server uh, and install GNU tar, but I just can't be bothered right now because it doesn't really matter. The, the proof of concept is there, and that is that tar can do a stand-in job for SCP, and and if you're doing it certainly with gzip or bzip2 or or whatever it makes a lot of sense because now you are transferring less data than what you end up with on either side which is pretty cool so there you go that's that's uh, an extra little tidbit about tar tar pipes which which i appreciate a lot actually i think that's uh, i i'm afraid that in terms of ssh i'm i'm very frequently a very I'm just I'm a I'm sort of a, a very plain boring user of SSH a lot of times I, I I do a lot of stuff where I'm just I just SSH directly to one machine and do exactly one thing on that machine it really is I just use it very much in the sense of a secure shell that's that's how I use it and and I didn't used to be that way at my old job where I had well my old old my old old job and my old 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 job where i had lots of different computers or or at least some set of different computers uh to deal with and a lot of times i would i would i would need something like cluster ssh and 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 i would have to run commands remotely and I, and you wouldn't bother logging in directly to each one and and process some command on each computer obviously you would you would find some way to batch to, to make that into a batch job. I just don't have the the reason to do that as much anymore, so so I don't really find myself doing a whole lot of fancy stuff with SSH anymore. So it's it's great to hear uh, a little tip like that 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 kind of messes around with SSH. So thank you, Josh. Uh, speaking of cluster SSH, and this is a weird it's weird that this is what I'm what I'm where I'm going with that, but you'll 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 soon you'll eventually figure out why. But I got feedback from the uh, GNU Parallel discussion that I did back in episode 6, it looks like, of season 12. And, um, in fact, you know what, I should, I should play, I should play the snippet of audio that, uh, that makes this kind of amusing. And I used to be very confused about Parallel because I didn't understand how it worked, especially since their documentation is actually really, really bad. Sorry, Parallel team. I don't mean that in a mean way, but it's just true. Also, I don't mean to actually imply that the GNU Parallel team is listening to this show. But anyway, funny thing about that is that actually the GNU Parallel maintainer was listening to that show and uh, wrote me. And he said, hey, what's wrong with the docs? We spent a lot of time on them, and we would love to hear 
how they could be improved. It was a really, actually, quite a nice message. And it didn't have to be nice. I mean, I insulted their docs, so he could have been quite, I think, almost justifiably. Like, hey, maybe you should do a little research first and read the docs. And he did ask, he said, uh, did you start at the reader's guide, which is mentioned on the very first page, he didn't say very, on the first page of Man Parallel. And then it kind of hit me. I had not looked at the Man page of Parallel. Now, I think there are two, this is a little bit of a an unscientific result, because I've got history with Parallel. I've been trying to learn Parallel for ages, and, and it just never, never hit, never stuck. Now, there's reasons for that. One might have just been that I didn't have the use case for this parallel command to be useful to me, or maybe it's I didn't have the mindset of how to split arguments yet. I just didn't understand how that worked. Whatever. I've had history with it, so possibly I just thought, why bother looking at the man page of parallel? I tried that back in 08, and it didn't work then. Why would I return to it now? But I feel like possibly the other reason that I didn't look at the man page is because there's a very low, sort of a latent feeling among a lot of people, I think. And you can certainly email me and let me know your feelings on this, but I feel like a lot of us modern Linux users feel like man pages are not your introductory text. And I, I, I feel like I feel that because I have gone to man pages in the past and discovered non-introductory descriptions of a tool, you know? like. You, you go to something fairly complex, like, I don't know, actually I'm spoiled as a, as, you know, I, my eyes are no longer fresh, so even if I, I'm going to a couple of different man pages here and I just can't find one that is suitably atrocious for me, but, but I think you kind of know what I mean deep down. Like if you go to, let's just randomly say man SSH. If if you're totally new to SSH, you didn't know what SSH was or what it could be used for, I feel like reading the man page for SSH, even though it does say, it says, well, first of all, it's, it gives this synopsis, and those synopsises, synopsises are so uh, just long and verbose and, and they're almost terrifying, you know, they, they're, they, they almost discourage you because it's, it's SSH, and then this long string of seemingly random letters and numbers, and then a long string of single, you know, the short option versions of commands, so dash B bind address, dash C cipher spec, dash delta, capital delta, bind address, colon, port, dash E log file, you know, all of these things. And then finally at the very, very end, you have user at host name, and then finally command. So it's a couple of like you know quote unquote problems with that style of thing is that you look at that as a new user and you have no idea what any of that means and even if someone says well the bracket part if if you know it's in brackets it's optional so you can kind of skip over that although apparently in SSH that does not hold true I don't even know why I made that up um, but because there's the user oh that part is yeah okay so there you go so the brackets are optional and then and then the host name so that's the only required thing so ssh host name should work and and typically it would work but of course there are all kinds of caveats there because if you don't have access to the machine or if that machine's port is not open you know there's a bunch of stuff that could go wrong in an s in a, just a random ssh command or maybe you're trying to SSH into a machine where your username is different, but the user 
at is optional in the synopsis. It's in brackets, so that should mean that I shouldn't necessarily have to type it, and yet, uh, you know, so yeah, there's a, and then it, the description, SSH, SSH client, is a program for logging into a remote machine and for executing commands on a remote machine. And, and that's a little bit difficult because these are all things that are true about SSH, but you and I probably know that SSH has lots of different sort of use cases. I mean, in this very episode, we've seen different use cases for SSH. We've tarred something up and sent it into SSH through a pipe, never really consciously logging into that SSH machine. And to the uninitiated, it doesn't even seem like we ran anything on that SSH, that remote machine. I mean, we did. We did the tar command on the other side but it is very confusing but and, and then there's the other use case are you just ssh and then you're on the machine and then you do the things that you want to do so man pages are difficult they're they're very difficult to read and they are typically written while very true to you know they're, they're very factual they're just not very mm, informative so i feel like Modern, a lot of modern, modern Linux users are a little bit hesitant to resort to a man page to learn something. That is not the place that a lot of us go, it's, even if it's a subconscious thing. And I think it is subconscious because I'm, I'm all about going to a man page for, for stuff that I actually use. You know, man FFmpeg, something that I refer to on a weekly basis at least used to be a daily basis i mean it's just something that and that's a freaking 80 you pipe that to pr and it's something like 80 pages or something like that i don't know i could actually probably yeah okay 35 pages that's 35 pages of content so it's 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 great but but it is something that i that i go to i guess because i'm i'm comfortable with that kind of direct uh, delivery, whereas something like Man Socks is a little bit. I mean, it's very informative. You can read it. It's it 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 does sort of what it should do. It's just not something that you want to go read all that much. That's 60 pages, by the way. Uh, so the the man page, I think, for a lot of people, in other words, is not the first stop subconsciously. I think a lot of us have learned through years of confusion. And I think some people have said this as well. I think I'm pretty sure I've heard interviews on podcasts about well, man pages aren't really man pages; they're more like reference pages. You know, they're 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 for reminders, and that's how a lot of us treat them. Um, and so when you get a man page like Parallel that actually is aware that it is that that its name is a manual page, I I, I feel like that takes us a little bit by surprise. And I don't want to harp on the old, like, documentation, documentation. Uh, 72 pages, by the way, is the man page for Parallel. Um, but but at the same time, I, I do feel like like that's still a place where we could improve a little bit in within free software is, is predictability and reliability of the documentation that we do have. And I don't think it's a bad thing if... A man page is going to just be a reference sheet. I just happen to think that 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 we all kind of need to agree that that's what they are. And and I guess that, again that that's I think that is my has been my subconscious um, bias is okay. Man pages are for the quick re refreshers, just when you need a reminder of 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 something. 
uh, and the info pages, the GNU info pages, are for the longer, lo the longer explanation. And that's just kind of how I feel about it, apparently. I don't know that I knew that I felt like that exactly until recently. So, long story um, continued, uh, I went, the, the place that I had gone to, especially for GNU software, this is kind of the place that I go, is I go to GNU, I go onto the internet, and I go to gnu.org slash software slash parallel, um, and that usually takes me to the place that I need to go. It's it's quite predictable that way. The, the, the gnu.org site, if you don't visit it frequently, it's brilliant because all of their, and it all works perfectly well in, in the terminal. You don't even have to get out of the terminal for this. You can just go to, uh, for instance, links, and I spell that out, not, not L-Y-N-X, um, but L-I-N-K-S, uh, which I think is also the same thing as e-links, possibly. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Um, GNU.org slash software slash, and then the name of the software that you're looking for, so Parallel or Emacs or, or whatever GNU thing that you are looking for. And and you get, like, the, the web page, and it's great. It's a fantastic resource. And that is honestly, when, whenever I'm using something that I know comes from GNU, that's my first stop. So when I went to the GNU uh, Parallel page, the documentation that I found there was, um, where is it? The GNU Parallel Tutorial. And this is a, 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 a very complete document, and it is the basis, that's where I got the sort of, remember, if you remember that episode, I did a uh, chaotic, lawful, uh, evil, or rather, chaotic, lawful, neutral, uh, and then evil, good, neutral sort of array that I then combined through Parallel Echo. And that's th this is the tutorial that taught me how to do that, which was Parallel, something like uh, Parallel Echo, colon, 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 ABC, and then colon, 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 DEF. And, and that was how you combine, like, different streams of input, I guess. And like I, like I was saying, like, I didn't find that very helpful. Now, admittedly, upon further review... I I kind of kept reading, and I found a lot more information further down the page that was actually quite useful. My point being here, that if I'd just gone to para uh, Man Parallel, it says pretty clearly in the description, it says, literally, it says, stop, exclamation point. Read the reader's guide below if you are new. And then there's this reader's guide that you can skip down to. I mean, you could read the rest of what they have to say, but but let's just skip down to it now. And it says start by watching the intro videos. No kidding. They have introductory videos for this GNU Parallel tool. So you go to this um, video hosting site called YouTube, and there are tutorials on how to use GNU Parallel straight from the project maintainer. I mean, you can't get any more direct than that. It, it's... It's actually really, really useful. You should watch these videos. It, it, it's, it's fantastic. Now, it doesn't stop there. Um, you can also, still in the man page here, you can go down to the examples section. Examples, all capitals. And it will take you eventually down to... Hmm, it says it's not there. There it is. Okay, so example. Uh, and, and it takes you to this 
to I don't know, let's call it probably at least 10 pages of 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 functional examples that you can run to see parallel in action will in a lot of different contexts. So working as zargs dash in one argument appending, reading arguments from a command line, inserting multiple arguments, and it it, it goes through several several different use cases. Launching it with find like I did on the show when I was talking about this stuff. Feeding it information from an ls piped to grep piped to parallel context replace. So using Perl to do some sed like replacements of the arguments that you're sending to it. Compute intensive jobs and substitution, substitution and redirection, telling you how to redirect stuff and warning you that when you do redirect, you have to enclose it in quotes or else the redirect gets interpreted by bash, it gets used as a bash command, and you end up just with this one file called, you know, uh, bracket dot bracket or something, with the con the output of parallel rather than creating new files as the parallel commands go. So it's super, super helpful stuff, and it's all here in the man page, which, again, in a weird way, I'm just so surprised that it's all here in the man page. And, and I'm further surprised that that was the that that was the thing that was eluding me is that i didn't stop at the man page first to um to find all that stuff initially it's it's it it's genuinely surprising and and i think i think at i i guess at worst i'm an idiot at best uh it it it, it betrays something that maybe we as a free software community need to still think about which is where do people find this information reliably and i think a lot of times for you know whatever reason and for better or for worse um i think that we go to the internet first for those introductory tutorials you know those things where where all we want to know is 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 like that really common like 90% use case the thing that that most of us do the thing with this tool this is how we do it and and that's what we want we just want that that thing so where do we go for that and and so often it's the the place that you go is the internet you know i mean i you know in another tool that i i almost never refer to a man page for Actually, that's not true. But anyway, it's sort of true. Is image magic? You know, there's so many things I, I do with image magic, and half the time I'm just going to the image magic website. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that there, yeah, um, their man page for like if you type in man convert or man magrify or man whatever, it, it tells you for more information about the convert command, point your browser to either. It gives you a document on your on your computer in user shared doc image magic or to and then it gives you the website address so i mean they're kind of pointing you in a way to the internet by default and i guess in a way so is man parallel although man parallel backs it up with a bunch of stuff locally as well the 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 problem or the 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 question is how do we all know where to go and 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 how do we once we once we decide what the most reliable place is for information then what does that leave us with you know if if we're all going to the internet first 
and stumbling on you know the the wrong quote unquote the wrong set of information then how do we as programmers and as deliverers of software how do we guide people to the correct resources and i think i i i think i would argue if i was on the parallel team i would say there's not a whole lot more we could have done for you dude like we said we have this big alert in the description it says stop read the reader's guide and then in the reader's guide it says stop actually it doesn't say stop it's a start by watching the intro videos so in a way like they they did everything i think that they could do right it was just that i tricked them because i thought well there's no point in going to the manual page yet because i don't know the tool and you only go to man pages once you know the tool i want that gentle introduction into the tool and then i'll investigate further so and why didn't i find their youtube intro i don't know i'm not sure it, it's a really weird failure of 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 a of a user stumbling through all the right information and blindly missing it and it's a, it's a little bit horrifying that i missed it because you kind of think what else am i missing like what other kind of information is right there around the corner or right there on the shelf and i'm just missing it i mean who knows there there could all there all sorts of things that i'm i'm um, i'm still not i still don't understand because i just happen not to be looking on the right shelf but anyway that was my interaction and that those those were all the different thoughts that the interaction made me think of um the programmer for Parallel, the the maintainer of Parallel, was uh, super cool about it and pointed at you know to all of these great resources such as the YouTube link, and uh, told me that the man page had a bunch of examples in it, and so on. He also says that um, the reason why GNU Parallel is not part of Find Utils is due to the programming language. Uh, GNU Parallel is written in Perl. And the people behind find utils do not want find utils to depend on Perl, and that's why it's not bundled together. Oh yeah, and that that makes that makes sense. Uh, I should also mention, uh, kinda unrelated to parallel, but also very related to this whole conversation, is cheat. And I think I've talked about this before on this show. It is one of those things that just ought to be on every system. It it should be right next door to to man. My only Fear would be that then we'd have man, we'd have info, and we'd have cheat, and we'd have the internet. You know, it's just uh, would be maybe possibly problematic. It's still really brilliant. Uh, cheat is a a man-like system, except instead of giving you any kind of man page, it gives you a cheat sheet for a command. So when I said like, well, okay, well I want to use this tool for the thing that 90% of the people out there are using it and I just don't know what the command is, you would run cheat, uh, for instance, parallel, and and it would give you all the different, not all the different, but many different commands that might set you about, set you a, a, on your way toward using this command uh, successfully. So the, the, sort of the, I guess the classic, and this is the, one of those things that really annoys me, but the classic thing is the tar, command right is it tar how do you untar something i don't i 
first of all, let me just say I never understood the confusion over Tar. I really don't. I know that it's been sort of immortalized now in some silly webcomic, but it just feels to me like Tar isn't actually that difficult. And I don't remember ever having difficulty using that command, to be honest. I, I was introduced... I stumbled into most of this stuff. I mean, I read... I did do the due diligence on, like, when I was looking at GNU Parallel. I mean, I got books, and I read up on Unix and stuff like that. But, I mean, I was really... I was running, like... I was I had stripped a bunch of code... Well, not code, but interface stuff out of a proprietary popular Unix company, which I won't bother mentioning the name of, uh, and I was running, like, the Unix... I was running everything in a terminal on this computer and launched Enlightenment as my desktop laying over top the proprietary desktop. I mean, I was... I was as close to Linux as I possibly could be without being on Linux because I didn't understand things yet. But I was I was doing ridiculous things without really anyone, you know, no Ubuntu telling me how to do things. It was just me and a command line. And I I remember figuring out tar like without any problem really. It was it was not not really all that difficult. But for some reason it's got this weird reputation. So, anyway, cheat tar would tell you to extract an uncompressed uh, archive, tar xvf, path to foo.tar, to extract a gz archive, tar xzvf, which of course is not technically necessary, but whatever, uh, path to foo.tgz, and, and so on. And, and it just gives you, like, no no explanation. It just shows you by example. And I think that's a really, really useful little application. I admire it quite a lot, and I do try to have it on most of my machines, I sometimes forget, but um, it, it's pretty good, and you can, they've got a git, the, the guy who wrote it has a GitHub page, and you can submit your own cheat sheets to it, so it's pretty useful. And frankly, if, if Parallel is not listed in cheat yet, I think I will probably write one and submit that. Okay, and finally, last but not least, is an email, a follow-up email from my old pal, Donald. And Donald was the guy who asked um, for the Slackware tag file episode. And he said, thank you for the Slackware tag file episode. It was helpful. Uh, you're welcome. And then he says, I just listened to the episode on NetBSD on the Raspberry Pi. I have a banana pie, and I'm going to try to install NetBSD on it. And I anticipate that's going to go really well, Donald. Uh, the NetBSD, as I as I said in the episode and as I link in the show notes, they have like all the different ARM architectures pretty well defined on their webpage. So I th I gather that if you grab the correct image, you could just flash it onto your banana pie and it will run. Um, I have not tried it. I am this close to trying it. Um, but I because I have a banana pie as well, it's an M M2 maybe? M... I forget, the, the designations of all these things are just, they're not on the board, so how do you know? I just, I don't know. I don't understand why why we do this as a, as a people. Okay, so then Donald says, have you heard of PackageIn, P-K-G-I-N? It's a great package manager for NetBSD. It has similar features to Yum. It's very easy to use. Here's a link uh, to information in case you're interested. And the link is packageIn.net, and the so packageIn.net is the binary package manager 
for package source. And it says that it's aimed at being an apt or yum-like tool for managing package source binary packages. It relies on package underscore summary for installation, removal, and upgrading of packages and associated dependencies using a remote repository. So, and, and actually, let's, let's keep reading this page. So it says, the rationale, many so-called GNU Linux distributions, why does, why does it say so-called? Many so-called GNU Linux distributions, I mean, I'm assuming that's many GNU Linux distributions, provide a convenient way of searching, installing, and upgrading software by using binary archives found on, quote, repositories, NetBSD and more widely all operating systems relying on package source have tools like package underscore add and package underscore delete, but those are unable to correctly handle binary upgrades and sometimes even installation itself. So that's really interesting to me because I honestly did not know that. Um, I don't understand what this person's talking about necessarily. Like under what circumstances are they not able to correctly handle First of all, what does correctly mean? Like correctly handle or handle uh, binary upgrades and sometimes under what conditions uh, even installation itself. So I, I don't I don't understand what that the paragraph is actually saying. Um, I'm finding a lot of confusing verbiage in there, but um, that it is interesting anyway that that someone says that that package add and package delete are not sufficient. This is the purpose of package in to provide the user a convenient way to handle binary packages using the same working mechanisms than tools like apt-git and than meaning as. So um, I've used package in before is what I was going to start to say. So I've used it uh, way, way back, like when I, when I, way back when I first ran FreeBSD uh, ages ago. Uh, this is even before, like, so I've ran, I've run FreeBSD once on my Pi for, like, that day before it turned off and, and, uh, corrupted the whole file system. I ran it on a laptop for a good year of my life and, and went to cafes with it and worked on it and even made music on it. I did, like, a sort of an experimental album type thing on, on FreeBSD. Or at least partly on FreeBSD. It was, it was all just, clipping audio clips together so it wasn't like I, I wasn't like in q tractor doing midi and stuff i was it was really just audacity but i mean it was it was a workhorse it, it really worked out well I, I really really liked it actually uh and then previous to that i i messed around with it as you do and and during that stage when i was just messing around with it i i used packaging because someone told me i think it was monster b actually an oddcast planet on freenode uh, told me, hey, you should install and use PackageIn. And I didn't know anything different about PackageIn from, you know, anything else. So I did, and I was using it, and I didn't really ever understand what I was doing or that it was separate, I guess. You know, like, I don't know. So, yeah, hearing, like, seeing about, reading it now and seeing that it has its own website and kind of, this is kind of a flash from the past in a way, because I... I remember this tool. I just didn't remember that it was a separate, dedicated tool that I had had to install separately. I think I must have thought it was just some some other component to the ports tree, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. I'll probably, I will, I will definitely be giving that a try. But I would love to do a little bit more research on exactly what what 
problem it is um, solving. Yeah, I would like to know more about... Because I had understood that package source... One of the appeals to package source when I first heard about... Or when, when Not first heard about package source, that was a long time ago. But when it came back to the surface and, and someone mentioned it on the Slack Builds mailing list, the 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 selling point was hey it can do binary packages and install from source so the way that they said it was sort of like hey it's equally good for both things and package in from what its rationale is telling me is that the the tools like package add and package delete are not sufficient for the binary installs and i, I yeah that's really interesting I will have to look into that more. But yeah, thank you, Donald, for pointing me to packagein.net. I will certainly be installing that on my Pi and running it and trying it out, seeing what I think. That's it. That's all the listener feedback I've got. So let's call it a show. Thank you very much for listening. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Advice service. Can you call back when you know what kind of pizza you want, please? You know what? I don't think I will.